You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Jerry Conway, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Welcome, everybody, to yet another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Morbius, episode 2B, covering a period of Morbius from 1977, I think, yeah, 1977 to 1981. I'm your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Morbius co-host, Ryan. We are going to be covering the second half of the Morbius Epic Collection, Volume 2, which is called The End of a Living Vampire. And these are, it, this is an interesting one. It says here on the back of the Epic Collection, it says the first era in the dark saga of Morbius the Living Vampire concludes in this second Epic Collection. It's kind of an interesting end because, of course, like all Marvel characters, well, I shouldn't say all, like 99% of Marvel characters, they kind of just keep on going forever. Uh, but this Epic Collection d- definitely kind of sets Morbius in a spot where if they wanted to conclude his story, he could just kind of he could just kind of end here and and be satisfied with the way the things are, are going. I mean, it's kind of a sad ending, but Morbius's story is a sad one. Actually, it's funny that you bring that up because uh, when I finished this, the second volume for the first time, I didn't realize that Morbius had later runs down the road. So I thought this was everything. So when you pointed out that this is the first era in the Dark Saga, um, I didn't realize that there was actually hope for <laughs> yeah. more stuff coming out. Yeah, that's right. And I don't know if we'll ever get a volume three. I think we touched on this in the last episode. You know, the movie didn't do too well. So Marvel is probably not going to be going too Morbius crazy for, for collections and whatnot. But I really do hope that we see more Morbius because... He, yeah, he had a, another series through the 90s and a lot more other appearances. And uh, and I'd like to see how they develop his character beyond just what we see here in the, in the 1970s. If he's happening in the 90s, and that's definitely well in the, still in the epic era. So yeah. I wasn't sure if they're like happening in the early 2000s, which is still kind of unmarked territory as of right now for most epics. But yeah, hopefully maybe Morbius will stick around in the movies, maybe not getting his own movie, but maybe he'll stick around and give us an opportunity to get some more epics. That would be nice. I I hope so just for the sake of, you know, getting this material out there and having it available for posterity. I think it's important whether you like it or not. Absolutely. So tell me, Ryan, what are the issues that we are going to be discussing in today's episode? Yeah, so this epic is going to be covering Spectacular Spider-Man 6 through 8, then issue 38, and then it wraps up with Savage She-Hulk 9 through 12. Yeah, so we're not going to be talking about any actual Morbius issues. His run, which was in Adventures into Fear, has ended. And Morbius is in this state now of, you know, he's he's in a state of limbo, his character, at least in terms of the editorial side of things. He doesn't have an ongoing series, and it's kind of, you know, years between appearances. Let's see here. The last issue that we talked about in the last episode was Marvel 2 and 176. And then this first issue that we're going to be talking about with Spectacular Spider-Man isn't until May 1977, so a full year later. And then after that, it jumps to Spectacular Spider-Man 38, which is January 1980. So it skips three years or two and a half years. And then it goes into Savage She-Hulk number nine, which is October 1980. So that's, you know, later on that year. So it, it, it is very sporadic appearances for Morbius at this time. I feel like having those bigger time gaps, you can definitely tell it in the reading. Um, I feel like the stories in... In the, earlier in this epic and in the first volume, um, even though it did still jump around a lot, it did feel very cohesive. But a lot of those issues were coming out more within the same year. 
where these where you have gaps of several years in between his appearances you can definitely feel that when you're when reading it in my opinion hmm. yeah i think so too and just the tr- in terms of the storytelling and artwork how it progressed between 1971 and 1981 there are definitely differences there and you can feel that the way that they treat the character has a little bit more of a 1980s approach And if you think about it, like that is the beginning of the anti-hero era, like with when Punisher is introduced and and we're going to see Morbius kind of take on more of that kind of a role, especially in his 1990s series, uh, rather than the the tragic misunderstood vampire that we see in the early 70s here. Uh, Although there's still elements of that in the way that he's treated in these later issues. But we'll, we'll get to that when we talk about those specifically. Uh, Let's see here. Ryan, can you tell us where Morbius is in his ongoing saga here? Uh, Since if if people haven't listened to our last episode or just jumping into the middle of this epic collection, which I don't know why you would, but uh, if you happen to be doing that, where is Morbius right now? Yeah, so at this point, so where we picked up from the first half of this epic is we're actually kind of leave at a, um, I don't want to say a cliffhanger, but uh, at the end of the Marvel 2-in-1 issue, which was the end of our last episode, uh, Morbius kind of, so that's where he was finding the eraser, and at the end of that issue, he erases himself away off of the Earth, and we don't know where he goes. And this is where we pick up the story in the second half of the episode. I so I always thought that he, you know, th- those the, the the bands that he got from the eraser. Whenever the eraser erases someone, they go to dimension Z. So I thought that you know that's the only place where you would go. And so when Morbius erases himself, he would go to dimension Z as well. But they allude at the end right. of that two and one issue, and I mean it's very obvious once we get into these issues that he just sent himself somewhere else, and he didn't even know right. where he was going. And so we're going to find that out in the pages of of Spectacular Spider-Man. But before we get to that, uh, we have Spectacular Spider-Man number six in this collection, which is actually just a reprint of Marvel Team-Up number three, which was included in the first Morbius epic collection. However, uh, as was kind of the custom with some of these reprints, if they are putting it into the ongoing narrative, they treat it like a flashback. So uh, Jerry Conway, Ross Andrew, and Frank Giacoya created three new pages, two of them to introduce the issue and then show why Spider-Man is thinking about this particular story in his past. And then one more page at the very end to to wrap things up uh, and to to kind of lead us into the next issue. So at the very end of this issue, uh, we see a, a shot of Morbius on the, the desolate planet or wherever he has transported himself. And there's an ominous shadow that's kind of approaching Morbius and saying, uh, you know, we can work together. Um, so that's that's all there is to that issue. There's not really a whole lot to discuss. Do you have any comments about this one at all? No, not really. Yeah, again, it's just really the setup for bringing Morbius back. Yep. So then we can move over to Spectacular Spider-Man number seven. So this is the an all-new issue. It's called Cry Mayhem, Cry Morbius. And Archie Goodwin is the writer and editor. And I think Archie Goodwin was the editor-in-chief at this point. He had a very, very short stint as editor-in-chief. And this was either right before it or during it. But we're not quite at the Jim Shooter era of, of, of Marvel Comics at this point. Uh, in this issue, Spider-Man, he's trying to just kind of make a life for himself at, at college and stuff. Meanwhile, Morbius comes back from Dimension Z and um, kidnaps Glory Grant. And Glory Grant is a is a, an employee of the Daily Bugle, where Peter Parker works as a photographer. And she is she gets kidnapped because Morbius thinks that she can call Spider-Man for him and he wants his revenge. And then there's a big fight. And really, there's not a whole lot to this issue. It's really just uh, Morbius coming back and a big fight between Spider-Man and Morbius. It's in the rain, so we get some cool artwork. Um, and and I, I always like rain fights because the artist has to be very particular with how they portray uh, rain. You can't put too many lines, otherwise it muddies up the pictures, but it also creates some great aptness atmosphere and i think for a character like morbius to come back we get some really nice atmosphere in in these pages not a whole lot happens this issue but man the art is what really sticks out to me in this issue um i feel like they're bringing morbius back to having almost more of like a 
poor look to him that there's a lot of panels that's like close up to his face a lot of detail just makes him look a lot more menacing and more horror like um what yeah. i'm seeing right off the bat is the last page of this issue on page 263 there's a nice close-up panel there and i know there's a lot of those close-up panels throughout this issue and the art was just absolutely amazing in this issue and i really like how they kind of bring that more creepiness back to morbius so it's interesting to note that the artist here is Sal Buscema and the inker, mm-hmm. the inker is Jim Mooney. Now they're create they're credited together as just artists. So I'm pretty sure that Sal is doing just the breakdowns here because Sal was a busy guy. He was doing a lot of stuff every month. So he's probably just doing the breakdowns. Jim Mooney is filling in all of the details. And you know what? Jim Mooney is, he's really good at inking. I like him as an inker. And we're going to see him do the four issues of She-Hulk later. And I don't like him just as a straight penciler and as a storyteller. And I'll tell you why once we get to those She-Hulk issues. But I really do like that the fact that Sal is doing the layouts because Sal is a really great storyteller. He knows how to compose his panels he knows how to give the flow of action and then putting Mooney on top to give the details like you said some of those close-up shots of Morbius in the shadows and the detail that they give on his face and and the rain and everything like that in the backgrounds it's, it's it all works together yeah the artwork in this one I really do enjoy quite a bit um, so we have in this one also Morbius acting a little bit out of character and it's hard because like we said this is there's a time jump between the last time we saw him and this time this time he's mad at Spider-Man and he wants his revenge and he's going to do whatever he can and he still has sort of the 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 compulsion to to suck blood and stuff but it seems like he's just more of an angry person and he's w- willing to do things that he normally wouldn't do um and there's a voice talking to him in his head so yeah there's something going on with Morbius Uh, I think it's a nice reintroduction to the character, especially because it's been a few years that's passed. Uh, We get to know kind of all of the, the, uh, you know, the things that Morbius can do, his hollow bones and all that kind of stuff. It seems redundant in a collection like this, but I think it was important at the time to to reintroduce Morbius. I think that's one thing that when reading through the epics, um, especially in runs like Morbius, where it's very broken up, um, I think it's... I need to kind of step back and realize, okay, this is not necessarily the way most people would have read this back then. I Mm -hmm. can't name anybody that would be reading just Morbius back then. Yeah. And I always need to keep that in mind when going from book to book and having, like you mentioned, kind of some lines that seem a little out of character or just like don't match with the tone of what I would expect Morbius to say. Um, Just because, again, you are shifting between writers and at least in this issue in particular, like you mentioned, there is there appears to be some sort of voice that is talking to his head. So in terms of reading the epic, I feel like I was able to kind of chalk up all the more out of character things to, oh, there's some underlying thing going on. Mm-hmm. It's a little easier to ignore the like um, conflicting uh, personality of, Mor- of Morbius. So this character that's talking to him in his head, at the very end of this issue, we get to see a little bit of a glow around Morbius's body to show that he's kind of being possessed by something. And he says his name. Now, how did you say this in your head? Did you say empathoid or empathoid? The empathoid? So I said command? empathoid. Empathoid. Yeah, that's what I was doing too. Empathoid. <laughs> okay, we're on the same page. <laughs> awesome. But I also wouldn't count on me for pronunciation because that's not my forte. Well, that's okay. I think uh, <laughs> as long as we are consistent in this one. I noticed that last episode, because when I went to edit the last episode, we were talking about Dimension Z, and my Canadian came out a couple times, and I said Dimension Z. I tried not to, because it's like most of the people here listening are going to be American, and it was American who wrote it, so it's going to be Dimension Z, but I think one or two times I said Dimension Z. (laughs) I didn't pick up on that. Yeah. Okay, well, why don't we go over to Spectacular Spider-Man number eight. Yeah, so this is written by Archie Goodwin, and I believe he's also the editor yep. for this one. And then the artist uh, is going to be Sabu Sema and Mike Esposito. Yep. So is that kind of a similar situation where Sal is doing more of the layouts and Mike is doing uh, the inks? But in this instance, you can definitely see way more of Sal Buscema coming out because a lot of the faces... Sal has a very distinct way of doing faces with his downturned lips and... 
uh, and like upper lip wrinkles and, yeah. and and eyebrow pointy eyebrows and such. And that comes out in these issues a lot more. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and uh, he, he and Mike Esposito actually work a lot together in this era. So it, it's this is kind of how all of the stuff by this pair uh, looks throughout the 80s, the late 70s and early 80s. Gotcha. But yeah, so in this issue, it just picks right off where we left off. So uh, Spider-Man is still battling Morbius. Uh, but we start to see more about this empathoid. And we kind of see throughout the fight that he is kind of goading Morbius into attacking Spider-Man. And he wants to kind of bring up these raw emotions between them. And at the end of the fight, Morbius is becomes unconscious. And because uh, the empathoid isn't letting him drink any blood, so he's getting weaker. And at that point, he leaves Morbius and actually binds to Spider-Man. As definitely gain almost kind of like a little bit of a Venom vibe, it yeah, seemed like. Totally. Where he assimilates with Spider-Man. And I really liked the way they plotted out this story because when he assimilates, their memories merge, or at least Spider-Man is able to see into the Epithoid's memories. And this is where we are taken back to exactly what happened in between the Marvel 2-in-1 issues and then the spectacular Spider-Man. So we start to see this background of where Morbius was. So um, when he erased himself, he is taken to some unknown planet or dimension that seems to be inhabited. And he is actually very content with this because he d- he wants to just isolate himself and not be in a situation where he can hurt anybody. But on this planet, there is kind of like some um, ruins or some like abandoned cities that show there was civilization there at some points. And he eventually runs into the sole inhabitant of this planet, which is the Empathoid. And we find out that the Empathoid was an android that was created by the uh, the humans or whoever was inhabiting this planet prior to it being desolated. So he's an android that is able to feel emotions. So he's kind of a more advanced one. And we find out that he actually will feed on people's emotions, and that's what led to the demise of the population of this planet. And the Empathoid wants to force Morbius to take him back to Earth so that he can then feed on Earth's emotions. So this kind of brings Spider-Man up to speed on, and us, on who the Empathoid is, where Morbius was during this time. And it's an interesting balance because I really like the way that they did it, is the Empathoid can feel Spider-Man's emotions, but he can't read his thoughts, which I thought was a really cool dynamic that they created. And the Empathoid is basically forcing Spider-Man to pursue Morbius after he has time to rest so that he can feed on the emotions during that battle. And as we go through the issue, um, Spider-Man is actually luring um, the Empathoid to a football stadium where there are hundreds of thousands of fans that are having a ton of emotions because if you have a football game, obviously there's going to be a lot of emotions going on. And what he does is he just overloads the Empathoid. And that's how he is able to unbind from him is just the all the emotions in the crowd pour into Empathoid and he can't take it. And that is what defeats him. So I really like the empathoid and I like this portrayal of emotions mm-hmm. because not all emotions taste the same to the empathoid. Sometimes mm-hmm. like he, he when he first comes he really likes Morbius because Morbius has very strong angry emotions and he and they taste good to the empathoid. But when he binds with Peter, Peter has emotions too, but he's calm, he's he's collected, he's uh, he's happy, you know, in a sense, and the empathoid doesn't really like that the taste of those emotions. He needs something a little stronger, something with more kick. Mm-hmm. And that kind of influences Spider-Man's battles and how he goes about fighting Morbius at this point because he can't give in to his rage because he's he's also doing this inner battle with the empathoid at the same time. So I like that portrayal. And then once he gets to the football stadium, there's tons of emotion, but they're neither happy nor angry. Because when you're at a football stadium, you're angry at the other team, but it's not a real anger, right? It's a, Mm -hmm. you know, you're caught up in in the excitement of the game. It's not like you're actually physically mad and upset and angry at the other team. It's just part of the spirit of the game. And same with the the happiness. It's like these fans are happy. Whether or not they're happy in their real life, it's it's tied to the emotion of the game. So it, it's, um, it's kind of a fake happiness and a fake angriness. But it's so, like you said, there's like hundreds of thousands of people in this stadium. So 
the emotions, there's so much that it overloads. He overdoses on emotions. And I like, I think it's just kind of a cool concept. I like it. And this was a fun issue. Uh, I liked this one better than the last issue, even though I like the art better in the last issue. This one had a more compelling or interesting plot. And I actually really like what you kind of touched on with um, Peter having more subtle emotions or needing to control his emotions. Yeah. Um, because uh, let's see, it's on page 278. Um, when he gets to the stadium, the empathoid says, oh, I sense a stirring of hope within you, as if the, the structure has been your goal all along. Yeah. Which I thought that was kind of a cool that You kind of see that throughout the issue, and I thought that was just so cool, because, again, the empathoid can't read his thoughts, but he can read his emotions. So Peter had to put on a poker face with his emotions to trick the empathoid into falling into this trap, or, yeah, to lure him here. And right. I thought that was just such a cool dynamic. I loved that. Yep, totally. And it's like, you know, a lie detector. Your heart, right. your heartbeat will give away whether or not you're trying to, to, to say something false or whatever. And then the same with here. It's like, no matter what Peter could do, he's getting excited the closer and closer he gets to the stadium because he knows that's where his plan is going to actually take place. Yep, good stuff. Uh, as far as Morbius is concerned, his character doesn't really get, get furthered along here. Uh, it's only to bring him back into our dimension. Yep. That's kind of the only purpose of this storyline for Morbius. I feel like that's kind of like the hit or miss with these one-time guest appearances is with some of them, we've seen that he has had some a decent amount of growth during these um, guest appearances. But yeah, with some of them, um, he stays kind of just where he's at, Yeah, which is okay because you can still get fun stories. Yep, for sure. Uh, um, one thing I actually did like in this issue is that I can't remember exactly where it was, but I think it addresses his maneuverability with his gliding, like with the way he flies. Um, Cause that always kind of bugged me because if he just kind of floats around on the wind um, with all these battle scenes, like how can he just like be taking all these zigs and zags? So it actually kind of addresses that like, Oh, I can't like follow him that closely or I can't catch up to him because I can't maneuver that quickly because I ah. just glide. So that's kind of cool that they address that because that was one thing I always kind of thought about is just his flying abilities. Right. And there's a scene where Spidey jumps on Morbius's back because he knows he's just gliding so he can push him down to the ground that way by right. just being, being on him. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. And so from there, we don't see Morbius again for another year. What did I say? A few years. And we jump to Spectacular Spider-Man number 38. And this is January 1980. And I love this cover. I think it's great. Uh, just a nice dynamic cover shot of Morbius. In fact, I would have preferred to have this cover on the front of the Epic Collection rather than the one that they chose. Yeah, I think so, too. That That's so epic. Yeah, I think it would have been great. But... <laughs> and we get Spider-Man on there, too. Yeah, that would have been a great choice. I don't think I would normally say that for an Al Milgram cover. But this one, I think, is pretty good. Uh, okay, so now Bill Mantlo is the writer for this one. Yeah, and we know Bill has a history with Morbius because he wrote a bunch of the other issues earlier in this collection. So nice to see him come back to the character. Sal, even two years, two and a half years later, is still on Spectacular Spider-Man doing the art with um, with inks from Chick Stone, whom I really like. Chick Stone is one of the uh, early, early inkers on like Fantastic Four with Jack Kirby and such. And he always adds... Mm a nice, clean, slick look to everybody's art. He likes a heavy brush line, so you can see in some of these panels, like the outlines of characters are much thicker, especially if they're like closer yeah. in the frame. He adds some nice yep. detail to the background, and um, and it's this, this issue makes it look a lot like 1960s Fantastic Four, I think. Yeah, it definitely does have a, more of like a retro look to it, I, I think, during this time, um, especially going from... Um, the previous issue with Sabi Sama, yeah, it did have a more sixties vibe. It's taking me back to some of the volume ones of many epic collections. Yeah. So this story is called Curse of the Living Vampire, and it opens with a typical horror movie where you see just some kids riding their bikes or whatever, and then they get attacked by Morbius, and Morbius sucks the blood from one of the girls, and uh, then we then he flies off, and we're taken to the main character, Peter Parker. So there are uh, like five different subplots going on in this issue, which we're not going to cover because this is not a Spider-Man podcast. But one character that is important to know is uh, Chip Martin, who is, I guess, a, a student at ESU with Peter, where they're both studying at the time. They're both in university. 
and uh, Chip invites Peter to a party, and uh, it's a costume party, and this is where Morbius shows up and has uh, sucked the blood of one of the girls who are who's at the party. Um, then, of course, Spider-Man has to have a big fight with Morbius in the building, and this guy, Chip, I mean, I guess this is also Spider-Man subplot that doesn't really have anything to do with Morbius. Uh, Chip has something going on with him. He turns into a character called the, the Schizoid Man, which I think is a term that probably wouldn't fly these days. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I don't and I, I looked him up. Schizoid Man hasn't appeared since um Civil War, the first Civil War comics, which is a quite a while okay. back now. So I don't yeah. know. If he were to come back, I think they'd probably change his character's name. Yeah, you know. probably. But anyway, so as far as Morbius is concerned, he fights Spider-Man again. We're at this point where Morbius, he's realized that he just needs to suck people's blood to survive. So he kind of just does it now. I mean, he still does feel some guilt, but he's kind of balanced that out with the fact that he's just trying to stay alive. At the end of this issue, he's about to bite Spider-Man when he gets struck by lightning. And that turns him back into Morbius. And that's kind of like a full circle. If you remember his origin story, it was... He was trying to electrify the, his blood cells in order to save himself from this blood disease that he had. And so, and that turned him into Morbius in the first place. So by electrocuting himself again, it's kind of reversed that, I guess, reversed all that happened. And he is now not a vampire anymore. Yeah, I actually, I actually kind of like the way that they do it. I know it's kind of a very like haphazard way, just like, oh, he gets electrocuted and then yeah. he's cured again. It's but very haphazard, actually, <laughs> out of the blue. I actually kind of liked it, though, the fact that they did use the lightning, because again, like when we're going through both of these epics, um, there's been many attempts to make a cure, just like by in a lab with a serum. Yeah. But to actually have it turn out to be lightning, which is what uh, went or could have been the thing that went wrong at the, for his origin. So I thought that was kind of a cool way of tying it back to that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if they were going to do it in a haphazard way, they did it in the right haphazard way <laughs> with lightning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's my only complaint is that all of a sudden we're at the climax of this battle and kapow, lightning strikes, everything's over. It's like, uh, well... I, with a lightning strike being random, I guess there's not really a way that they could have done it that would have um, prepared us for that moment. But mm -hmm. it did seem like it was kind of the, I don't know, the deus ex machina kind of a thing where it's just out of okay. blue and it just kind of solved the problem, even though nobody was looking for the problem to be solved at that moment. <laughs> yeah, with this issue... Um... I feel like, again, like going through and reading this book as a Morbius epic collection, I feel like this is where I start to almost kind of lose focus with the stories in the epic. Um, just, yeah. I felt like Morbius, he really, he appeared at the opening scene and then just kind of the last couple pages of this one. So um, this issue has definitely had a lot of subplots going on to it, but a lot of it just didn't pertain to Morbius. So reading this with the goal of learning more about Morbius is... Definitely a little unsatisfying, even though it was a good issue. So there are some epic collections, like the Black Widow epic collection, where they would they'd actually like chop up the pages and only give you portions of issues that right. relate to 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 Black Widow. And so there would be like a little caption saying, and then in Avengers number whatever, Black Widow walks in the door and says hi to her friends. And then in Avengers number whatever, <laughs> she and Hawkeye go on a date or something like that, you know. And they could have done that with these issues as well. Because like you said, there's a lot of stuff here with Spider-Man, uh, with yeah, the Spider-Man subplot with Aunt May, uh, the stuff with Flash and Shashan and uh, all of this like didn't need to be in these issues. And but they decided to reprint them in full anyway. Yeah. And I think there is definitely a reason for that. Just with the page count that we're at with this yeah. epic. Let me see. I think it's just shy of 400. Yeah. Um, and yeah, if they weren't if they weren't to do that with a lot of these issues and moving forward with some of the She-Hulk issues, I think they would not have had enough material to make to justify making it into an epic. That's true. Yeah. I yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I think that they probably made the a fine choice. And same with yeah, especially with the She-Hulk issues. There's two issues of She-Hulk that I think probably didn't actually need to be in this epic epic collection, but they're there. And right. uh, but yeah, that would have brought the page count to under three hundred, and that does seem small in terms of epic collections. Too it's too much right. for it's too much to combine both of the epic collections into one, but it's it's not enough for two big volumes. No, absolutely. And being an epic fanatic, I am 100% okay with reading extra material to be able to get an ep another epic for it. Yeah, and that's true. It's like, it's better that they're there 
and you can skip over them rather than not be there and not have an option to to read them. So it's fine. Yeah, it's it's okay. It just makes it to be a little bit more of a unfocused last half of this book. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, well, why don't we take a, a, a trip down She-Hulk lane and see what happens in the pages of the Savage She-Hulk. Yes, this picks up with Savage She-Hulk number nine, which is written by David Anthony Kraft. And then the art is done by Mike Vosberg and Danny Bulanati. Yep. With colors being done by Gaff and letters being done by Peter Kirch. Um, so yeah, this is our first issue of the Savage She-Hulk in this epic. It is issue number nine. The story is done by David Anthony Kraft. The artwork is done by Mike Vosberg and Danny Bulanati. And yeah, so in this issue, Morbius only appears for a couple panels or maybe a couple pages. So just some of the pertinent plot points for this more uh, She-Hulk is becoming weaker and kind of losing control of when she turns into She-Hulk. It's, so it's becoming more frequent and more spontaneous. So I think it, this problem has been going on in prior issues of this, but uh, her friend who uh, is named Zapper has been trying to f- trying to find a way to find out what's going on with her. So he sends the blood, some of her blood samples to a friend at UCLA and nobody seems to know what is going on over at UCLA. So he sends it over to a department kind of as a, as a final try to uh, some big name scientist that is who we later find out to be Morbius, a human Morbius. And, yeah, human Morbius, exactly. Yeah. yeah, so that was an interesting an interesting thing. So again, this picks up right after the lightning strike from the last issue, and we find out that he is completely cured. He doesn't have his pale skin anymore. I'm not sure of his bone status, but he looks normal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's back to his human his human self. Yeah. And he is able to analyze the blood of She-Hulk. And he finds out that her blood is breaking down, essentially, and that he needs to find a cure for her ASAP. Now, you spoke a lot there, but it actually is only four panels that you're describing, basically. Yep. And so in this entire issue, it's only four panels of Morbius. So, yeah, I'm questioning whether or not we needed this whole issue in here. Uh, because the focus isn't Morbius. But there are a few things that I think, a few reasons why I would say that it's good to have all of these issues in. One is that we can see through the course of this issue how the blood disorder is affecting Jennifer Walters and how how she is still struggling to try and do her job as a lawyer and be She-Hulk even though this thing is killing her. And so to get that sense of urgency, I think it's good to have the full issue. Um, But yeah, I mean, the the actual plot of this issue, we're not even bothering to describe because it literally has nothing to do with Morbius. Actually, so this is uh, when I'm going through the show with you, this is actually my second time reading through Morbius. And I remember the first time uh, just reading through the She-Hulk issues, just feeling very checked out at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, just again, because Morbius isn't involved and the plot points don't involve him either. He is just a subplot to the plot point. So it doesn't even really pertain to him. But actually, funny enough, reading through the She-Hulk stuff the second time, I mean, I was I was actually dreading it, but it actually grew on me a little more. So it yeah. made me a little more excited for the She-Hulk epics. Well, for sure. I think the, the story itself isn't bad. And I especially like the, the two Morbius issues that are coming up here, the ones that are more for, mm-hmm. focused on Morbius. Uh, I have nothing against these issues, especially since I've heard from a lot of people um, that the, the, Savage, the Savage She-Hulk run is not great as a whole anyway. I haven't read any of it. These are kind of the only issues of She-Hulk I've read so far. Um, but I know that uh, I have a lot of epic collections with She-Hulk issues in it. I think the Howard the Duck Complete collection has a few, and, and my Man-Wolf collection has a few. So maybe it's not actually yep. epic collections. <laughs> a couple other complete collections <laughs> that have a lot of She-Hulk issues. Uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll get those epic collections soon. One of the things I didn't enjoy about these issues, though, is Mike Vosberg's art. And I just think he's pretty stiff uh, artist. He's not as well refined as Sal. Um, he, he's not as creative as Sal. And so I want you to go to page number 314 in this epic collection. It's page 14 of this issue. And the top row, we get these two characters, a father and a daughter. 
and we have these three panels, but they are all straight on um, camera angles. Like there's no variety. I mean, I know one of them is like kind of a far away shot. One's a close up, one's a medium. But in terms of the camera angles, it's static. And to put place those all three right beside each other, it's like it's boring, I think. Yeah. And then the next panel down below when there's a car in the background uh, or those two panels, both of them are actually straight on panels as well. And it's like, yeah, it's just there's there's not a whole lot of variety. Um, the panel where the girl is lifting up the car with her superhuman strength, I know it's supposed to seem effortless, but like the hand, the hand that's gripping the car, just it doesn't sit right with me for some reason. Or you know, yeah. just things like that. It's just, uh, I think that uh, I like the art, but I kind of wish that maybe somebody else was drawing it. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, yeah, just going through the She-Hulk issues, um, I feel like there's a lot of a lot of panels that kind of just almost like pulled me out of the story just because it just looked very off, yep. just like either anatomy wise or honestly, I think a lot of the faces have a lack of definition to them. Uh, I feel like a lot of the art's a little more simple, a lot of less detail, in my opinion. Which um, in the right hands could be fine because I would say like Darwin Cook is a great example of someone who mm. has a simplified style, but he's fantastic. Uh, but Vosberg doesn't doesn't come across that way. Yeah, for me, it, it didn't work super well, but... What are you going to do? <laughs> okay, well, let's keep on going over to She-Hulk, the Savage She-Hulk number 10. This one's called War of the Word. And as far as Morbius is concerned, uh, we only get, again, a few more panels. We we have Zapper, the, the, the good friend of Jennifer Walters. He's trying to track her down to say, hey, I've got someone who can help you. And Jen is like, no, no, no I've got other things to take care of. And he, she just con constantly is pushing him off. And so I actually don't think Morbius is in this issue at all. Is he in this issue at all? No. The, yeah, I think this is the one issue in Epic where he doesn't make a single appearance. Yeah, very strange. He is not in this issue. Um, but I mean, in terms of the story flow, this is the conclusion to the two-part story that started in the last issue. So we kind of have to we have to have it in here. And for the sake of our podcast here, we don't even we're not really going to discuss it. However, I do like to say that I act, I did enjoy the courtroom drama aspect of it. Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing at all in yeah. here to do with Morbius. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, like, again, like, we kind of see, like, points where She-Hulk is getting weaker and weaker, which um, puts some urgency to Morbius's work. But I feel like I, I still like having it in there just since he is in the following issues of She-Hulk. Yeah. And doesn't appear, like, 10 issues later or something. So, again, I feel like in terms of flow of the story, I was still okay with it. Um, especially if it does wrap up the story arc from the previous issue. I feel like it yeah. flowed well having it here in the epic, even though it doesn't pertain to him. Yeah, and, like, yeah, as far as the epic is concerned, the reading experience is just fine. Because you're reading them kind of right. in bulk. So it's probably okay that he's just absent for 20 pages. Uh, they still mention him by name, but the plot points, the subplot, and the ongoing story is still going on. So, you know, it is, yeah, I, I don't know where I stand on that, if they should take it out and put a little caption box or leave it in, but it's there so people can enjoy it if they want to or skip it if you want to, but it's there. And that means we can move straight on to She-Hulk number 11. So this is Savage She-Hulk 11. It's titled In the Shadow of Death. And so in terms of She-Hulk, um, we really just see her getting weaker to the point where she can't really function on her own. It's very much a struggle. She's just struggling just to even stay awake. And she's eventually taken to custody by the police. She is captured. Um, and she is uh, in custody by Sheriff Walters, who is her father, who has a big thing against She-Hulk. So it's kind of ironic that she's their captive in She-Hulk form. Um, but during that time, we find out that Michael Morbius is being held in custody at UCLA. So it's more um, plainly said, it's kind of hinted at in a previous issue, but Michael Morbius is in fact in custody while at UCLA. And that's why he is being guarded by armed guards there. Um, and so they are pushing to have a, uh, the death sentence put on Michael Morbius for his crimes, just for all the victims that he's claimed from his vampiric urges. Um, back at the lab, we get a, a brief recap, which we've seen many times with the Morbius issues in these epic collections. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we get this, we get the recap of how he was cured by cured by the lightning during the uh, Spider-Man issues, 
But we find out that although he's cured, he still has the urge to drink blood, which was kind of an interesting thing to put in there, but it's a logical thing to have to keep progressing Michael Morbius's character. Right, yeah. But so in the lab, he has been working on a cure for Jennifer Walters, and he is successful. However, it's a pet peeve of mine, but they use the story plot of how he made just enough serum to cure <laughs> Jennifer Walters or for him to take the serum yeah, yeah. and cure his urge to drink blood, which how the serum is so like versatile to be able to do both is interesting to me. <laughs> but um, yeah, so we get this kind of, in my opinion, haphazard serum created in the lab. But uh, outside the lab at UCLA, uh, there is a lot of protests going on for uh, Morbius being housed there instead of in prison. And the crowd starts to get kind of a little rowdy, and some of the guards have to go uh, make sure that the protest doesn't become violent. So some of the guards become occupied with this. And this leaves an opening for a man to get into the lab and hold Michael Morbius hostage at knife points. And we, we then find out that this man and somebody involved in the protest, his wife, are there to take Morbius's life because their daughter was a victim to Michael Morbius mm-hmm. in a, I don't know if we actually saw her exact death. I didn't go back to previous issues to see, okay, does this align with this victim? So I don't know if you caught that at all. I don't recall because it said specifically that she was on her first date and on her way home was killed. And I don't think that I remember any instance of like that. Yeah, because I, I know there were some issues where um, there's been a female just walking home late at night. So I didn't know if it actually tied to one or not, but it, could yeah, it well, might not. I don't know if possible. Um, but yeah, so Zapper eventually comes to the lab as well and becomes held hostage by the man. The police arrive and mistakenly accuse Morbius of the one uh, being in control of the situation, which then the man escapes at this point. At the end of the issue, uh, She-Hulk makes her way to the lab. She is able to escape her custody. And we get kind of an interesting little point where Michael Morbius has the cure and is ready to give her the cure, but he hesitates because he has the urge to drink it for himself. Uh, But he does end up kind of coming to his senses and gives the serum to She-Hulk, but she doesn't really appear to be responding to it. So we get this kind of thought process or thought bubble that's going through his mind that, oh, did my Delane just kill She-Hulk? I thought that was kind of a cool thing that they added at the end of the issue there. So my question is, is this is this serum just a one-time thing? Like he cannot make any more ever? Yeah, so when I was reading it, I think he can still make more. It's just the serum is there in front of him. It looks like blood, so I'm assuming it probably tastes like blood. Yeah. So he has this drive to drink it for himself. So I think he can still go on and make another serum after he gives the She-Hulk it's more fulfilling that urge in the moment. Ah, okay. Yeah, because I'm like, surely you can just like, like I'll whip up another batch tomorrow after She-Hulk right. is okay. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So this this issue was good. I really did like Morbius's involvement here, learning more about his human side and uh, dealing with his character while he doesn't, while he's not the vampire, even though he still has the bloodlust, because we never knew Morbius as a human ever. Like when we first met him, he was already Morbius, and we only got his a little snippet of his life before that in a flashback, and it wasn't much. So right. here we are in in an issue that is firmly focused on Morbius, but not the Morbius that we knew. And um, and I like it. I like the 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 guilt that he has over everything that he has done in the past, and also even the guilt that he's of the things that he's doing in the moment, like not letting She Hulk have the the serum right away. Like he he's he's both a compassionate and a selfish character and he doesn't know how to balance mm-hmm. the two right um but I, um another plot point that i actually really liked is yeah. um at when the man gets into the um into the lab he somehow knocks a guard unconscious and um when zapper arrives there he finds the guard and finds the fang marks on his neck yeah so at this point we're actually led as a reader to potentially believe that oh maybe michael morbius did this but when zapper gets to morbius in the lab he realized that morbius doesn't have any of the fangs anymore yeah so he couldn't have punctured the neck of the security or the the guard 
So this is a plot that I don't actually understand because the guard himself in the thought balloons says, that nut Morbius bit me, but he didn't suck my blood. How did he get the puncture marks, the two fang marks on his neck if Morbius doesn't have the fangs? Yeah, so um, I guess when I was reading it, I, I was on the impression that the man with the knife somehow knocks the guard out and maybe puts the puncture on the neck with his knife. Oh, okay. Is what I assumed as the reader. Yeah, I guess that's possible. It's they don't they don't say it at all. Because Morbius does not take the cure at this point, so he wouldn't have had the fangs at this point, anyways. Well, even if he had the cure, he wouldn't have been turned into a vampire. Like it wasn't supposed to. It was supposed to take away his bloodlust. Right. Yeah, that is kind of a confusing plot point. Yeah, and they don't go back to it at all. And if it wasn't Morbius, and if he did get puncture marks in his neck, there's another vampire around, and they don't deal with that situation at all right huh. oh well <laughs> let's keep on going over to savage she hulk number 12 this is the last issue we're going to talk about in this epic collection uh and this one's called reason and rage again another story by david anthony Kraft and mike vosberg with frank springer uh doing the finishes on this art this is a turning point for She-Hulk because at this point, she's very similar to the Hulk. Now, you have to keep in mind that this is the, her first series, like her her origin, her first appearance is She-Hulk number one. And so this is number 12. So she hasn't been around for very long. This is just a year into her, her, her story. And at this point, she was very much the same as the Hulk. When she got angry, she turned into She-Hulk. But because of Morbius's cure, she can now change at will. Whenever she mm -hmm. wants to become She-Hulk, it takes a lot of effort, but she can now become She-Hulk. Uh, it's still, I think it's still triggered by anger because when she's in the courtroom, she, oh no, that was the last issue. She she got angry yeah. in the courtroom. That's right. Uh, so so Morbius, she and Morbius kind of part their ways, but this this one lawyer who's who just doesn't like Jen for whatever reason, we'd have to read the previous issues to find out what their their thing is. Uh, he leaks it in the to the papers that Jennifer Walters is going to defend Morbius in the upcoming trial, which isn't something that Jen was going to do. But he just th this guy wanted to like smear her and put her in a hard spot, and so her father thinks she's a terrible person for wanting to defend a known and admittedly guilty uh, mass murderer and uh, and every the whole world is watching her so she realizes that she owes Morbius her life so she actually does defend Morbius in court and I actually do like the the stance they take on this I mean this is going to be a hot button controversial uh, trial because mm -hmm. Morbius himself said yes I did murder all of those people absolutely I did and I feel terrible about it but Jen's Jen's uh, defense is that he it was involuntary he couldn't help himself because of his medical condition which gave him this bloodlust he literally had to do it in order to survive so his natural instinct took over and it resulted in the deaths of these people so instead of being charged with first degree murder it should probably be involuntary manslaughter which means he's not going to get the death penalty which was a thing at the time and he's going to instead just serve like three to five years in jail and that's uh i think that's a pretty big deal and i it's it's i think it's especially for the parents or the vic of the victims it's a hard thing to swallow because it's like no this person can control them their actions like bite into their, their daughter's neck and all this kind of stuff it's like wow so they're not happy about it. And that's only the first half of this issue. So we were complaining about kind of light plots in these last few issues. Well, this issue has a lot going on in it. Okay, so let, let's talk about this first half first. What do you want to say about the first half of this issue? I mean, just in general with this issue, I feel like we didn't get much character development this of all the issues we covered today, but this issue was just packed full of them for Morbius. And the trial is one thing that really stuck out to me because if you remember in the, uh, let's see, I think it was the last adventure into fear episode or episode <laughs> issue. Um, he is unwilling to go and be by the uh, CIA agents and almost take responsibility for what he's done as, um, as the vampire. But here we have him in the court system admitting what he's done and taking responsibility 
for unwillingly creating all these victims. So I thought that was really cool, just the way he handled the whole um, legality issue, or not legality, but um, coming to the law and yeah. giving himself in. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, and he didn't even want the manslaughter charges. Like, he's like, seriously, try me as a first-degree mm-hmm. murderer. I, I deserve it. Like, he right. he wanted the full punishment. Um yeah, which has always been kind of the the burden that Morbius has had from the very beginning. It's like, no, I don't deserve any sort of special treatment because I, you know, I did this to myself. I experimented on myself. I turned myself into this, and it's my own fault that all of these all these people are are dead, and I need to suffer the consequences. Yeah, and I also think with this case, this is, I mean, the last issue of the second epic. I think this is the first time that the public is made aware of. Morbius's story and that he right isn't the murderer that they believe him to be yeah that he doesn't want to be committing these crimes so it's that's, that's another plot point too is just the fact that this is the first time that they're seeing all this one of the things though that I think is a is a little bit of a plot hole is that Morbius at this point still has the bloodlust and it never comes up into the conversation so technically he could still kill again he hasn't been cured of that yet right um so for instance like if you have a pit bull and a pit bull attacks somebody the courts are going to put that pit bull down right like there's mm-hmm. no there's no real sympathy for involuntary um like that's the i don't know maybe this is a bad example or we could say like like if you have um a bear in the wild comes wandering into a neighborhood and it's just there to eat the garbage or whatever but it sees a, a person and attacks the person because that's what a bear does uh you're gonna then the authorities will come and they'll put down the bear um, this is kind of maybe is this the same case with Morbius? I mean, I know this is a person rather than an animal, so it should be treated differently. Um, but it's he still has his animalistic urges. Uh, and so maybe he should be he's, you know, get the death penalty, whether or not it was involuntary. I don't know if that's an accurate. Yeah. Point no. Or... Yeah. And I think. Again, like it, I think it is kind of a little bit of a plot hole here. Is just again the idea that okay, if he needs time to make the second batch of the cure to get rid of the, the bloodlust, um, that should be brought up here because I feel like that would be a big impact on the case. Absolutely, because, yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel like one of the big incentives for using like the death penalty is to not let crimes happen in yeah. the future because they can't control that person. Exactly. There's no but redemption if, for that person, so they have to have to stop it. Exactly. Where here you have somebody that is admitting to everything that he's done and has this ability to get rid of that urge. Um, it's interesting that they went to the death penalty for that because I don't think that would be the same case. You yeah, know? yeah. But anyway, I think they just needed to wrap it up that whole part in the first yeah. half of this issue, so they didn't want to bring it to draw it out. Um, I like that these early issues have so much focus on the lawyer aspect of Jennifer Walters, and it does actually make me interested to read the rest of that series and more She-Hulk in general. I know that John Byrne, I think, doesn't lean on the lawyer stuff as heavy as as this early stuff does, but uh, I like that aspect of the character because it's just different from other superheroes. Yeah, no, definitely. I was actually noticing that too is, I mean, I would have been okay with this, with the court room scene going on for an entire issue. Yeah, exactly. I actually really liked it. Yep. And it's something like the lawyer aspect. I do really like seeing that with Jennifer Walters. And it's something that I never really saw much of in the first five epics of Daredevil is you never really get a focus on his legal career. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there and he talks about it, but you don't get the courtroom drama. Right. But this one does so, yeah, sort no, of I... read like a, um, a law and order kind of an episode. Yeah. No, I think it's well done. They, they did a really good job with it. And it definitely makes me want to go on and read more She-Hulk issues. Yeah. Okay, so the second half of this issue is, uh, it goes in a completely different direction because we're introduced to a character named Gemini who is part of the Zodiac. And the Zodiac is a team of supervillains led by Scorpio, Scorpio being the son of Nick Fury. And uh, and their story is told in Defenders numbers 48 to 50, which was also written by David Anthony Kraft. So so he's familiar with these characters. And Gemini is one of the, the... zodiac members and so he's an android and he was in shield custody 
for a while, but he's out now, I guess, or something. And uh, Gemini is an interesting character. Of course, Gemini is a perfect person to be in this book because Gemini is kind of um, characters that are created as opposites, but work in balance. And, you know, the zodiac symbol for the Gemini is the scales. And so it works with the whole justice theme. But the, uh, the, the Gemini character is one android that can split into two parts. And, one, and so then they can kind of decide, you weigh the odds to see what the situation calls for, and then they can recombine to do what they need to do. So they meet up with the two parents who are mad that Morbius's um, penalty got got turned into an involuntary manslaughter. And they're like, Gemini, we need your help. We need you to go kill Morbius. They don't tell him the whole story. They just do it one-sided so that Gemini uh, will just automatically take their side. But through the course of this one, they also determine by doing their scans or weighing the odds or whatever they need to do that Morbius and Jennifer acted in the right and the outcome is actually fair, which infuriates the parents. And then that also infuriates Jennifer and she turns into She-Hulk and she has to fight Gemini. Uh, Gemini also have, has a power set. One of them, the white Gemini, can um, absorb power, and then the black Gemini can emit power. So, it, like it, the the white one is negative, he can absorb energy, and then the other one is positive, he can zap whoever he feels like. And so, yes, they work yep. together as separates, and then they can combine it back into their one being that's half white and half black. And uh, yeah, so the the turning point here for Morbius also is that he uh, decides you know what people are fighting too much over me i'm just gonna end my own life and so he jumps off of a cliff that they are they happen to be on and go, tries to drown himself in the water but uh you know he gets saved and then the parents come to the realization that if they kill morbius and they're doing it because of their involuntary anger as a result of the love for their daughter um that they are acting in the same way that morbius did when he was sucking her blood mm -hmm. so they decide not to kill morbius and they go and you know hopefully properly grieve for their daughter and and get some sort of restitution that way and uh, Morbius walks off with Gemini, or he gets carried away by Gemini, and we don't know what happens to Morbius after that. But that is kind of the end, as it says in the Epic Collection, the end of the first era in the Dark Saga of Morbius. I think this was the perfect issue to wrap up these two epics because I feel like there is a lot, of, there are some callbacks to his first issue also. So, like we saw with the lightning. Um, a couple issues back and also with this when he jumps off the cliff to try to drown himself that's one of his very first acts that he did in the first epic collection wow yeah you're right forgot about that yeah so i mean i feel like i've just been seeing like some similarities where like i know this isn't the last morbius issue but it really ties up the stories within the epics at this point so i feel like this was like the perfect issue to end on but yeah, no, this issue is also just really full of seeing Morbius process what he did from being his vampire self um, and really coming to terms with coming to justice and making amends for what he did. Yeah. Because like throughout the two epics, we see him discussing what he does, but he doesn't really submit himself to this is what I did. I need to come to justice is more. I need to find the cures. The cure is more the focus. Right. Where here is more him accepting his fate in the justice system. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, I think that's I think it's great. And it shows again the the human side of Michael Morbius. I I love that we got this epilogue. Like it really is an epilogue. The the climax of the third act of this movie, this Morbius movie, is getting struck with lightning. And then this is mm -hmm. all of the wrap-up. I mean, it took four issues of wrap-up, but this is the wrap-up. <laughs> and it, it felt good. Yeah, I, I really like these last two issues. And I think that uh, this whole Morbius thing, the, all these epic collections, both, both volumes, they're quite good. They're a product of their time. They are fun and zany and just kind of way out there. But they're satisfying in the end. And we get a good sense of who Morbius is. And he's actually a pretty cool character. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I think we kind of talked about this in the first episode. But just going into this blind and viewing it more as a task of, okay, I need to get through these and really just actually falling in love with a lot of these stories. Yeah. Um, they just blew my expectations out of the water. And again, like you said, it's just a lot of it was so satisfying the way they wrapped things up um, between uh, subplots, between issues, and just his overall story arc. Just for how disjointed his appearances are, 
yeah they they just did a phenomenal job with with him overall i think so too yeah i'm pretty happy with uh with how these turned out and i hope that more people will give it a chance and i hope that if you're listening to this and you haven't read these morbius issues uh first of all we spoiled everything for you so sorry about that but <laughs> uh you should give them a chance because i if you like 70s marvel this is not any anything real different and we haven't even touched on the vampire tales stories which i haven't read yet i skipped over them and you tell me they're some of the best stuff in these books so it's even going to get better <laughs> yeah i mean those are the issues that when i read through uh both epics the first time those are the stories that always stood out to me most and that i loved most about these epics wow so well, there you go well i look forward to reading those stories because um it's just yeah i can't believe there's more morbius still <laughs> it's <Yeah>. great <laughs> Well, you know, this is a shorter episode than normal, but that's okay. There wasn't as much to talk about. Uh, but I want to thank you again, Ryan, for joining me for uh, for wrapping up the, these epic collections. I hope you had a good time. Oh, it was great. I absolutely loved it. So the next time, I think if you're up for it, Ryan, we should tackle the vampire tales stories next you up for that absolutely okay so this is what we're going to do the next episode is not going to be morbius episode three it's going to be vampire tales episode one and what we're going to do is because in this collection the, the only thing that's collected from the vampire tales stories are the morbius stories it, it cuts out all of the rest of it so i think we're going to try and read through all of the issues of vampire tales and talk about all of those stories because there's some i'm sure there's going to be some great stuff in there that will uh, not be collected. There are no Vampire Tales collections that I know of, but the full issues are available on Marvel Unlimited. So if you can get yourself a subscription to that, you are able to read all of that. Otherwise, uh, you'll have to just be satisfied with just the Morbius stories that are in uh, in these two epic collections. Um, but otherwise, I think that's about it. You can check us out on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, and on YouTube. Um, and I'm even on TikTok now. That's a new development. Really? Yeah. I, I, I'm i not talking about Epic Collections. I talk about other comic-related stuff. But you can uh, check that out under my handle. I go by Motion Toast on TikTok. So check that out and see if it's anything up your alley. Um, but uh, yeah, so sign up. and Oh, you can also check out our Facebook page. Just search for Epic Collections on Facebook, and you can join our discussion where we talk about Epic Collections all day and every day. So thanks, everybody, for listening to our talk on Morbius, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye.